You're listening to the KFBK Garden Show on News Talk 1530 KFBK. Now, here's your host, Fred Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the KFBK Garden Show. And a special howdy to all you dads out there. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi New Sentinel, member of the California Association of Nurseries and Garden Centers, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, does all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page. Yes, you can be my Facebook friend at, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook fan page or at Twitter.com slash Farmer Fred with daily garden tips and the occasional single malt scotch suggestion. Today's suggestion... Is, is one I had uh, up at the Sea Ranch this past week, uh, Glen Goyne 12. Surprisingly aromatically fruity. It's a very tasty uh, Glen Goyne 12. So there you go. I'll be adding it to my collection soon. Go to the phones, Fred. Okay, let's go to the phones. Let's go to Butte County and talk with Mike up there. Mike, welcome to the program. Good morning. Hi there. Hi. Hey, um, does, um, do cucumbers suffer from Bruticillium or Androfusarium wilt? Uh, let me check on that. I'm not sure what all the diseases they can and, get. Are, are and, Well, and if so, uh, is there, a, is there a, a variety that's resistant? I have raised beds that um, uh, I know are infected because uh, all my hybrids, uh, tomatoes, have just punked out and uh my my uh not hybrid my heirloom tomatoes have kind of totally washed out and and all the the hybrids are doing just fine not bothered at all and uh my cucumbers kind of punked out similarly so i'm I'm assuming that that's what it is well there's a way you can there's a way you can check because yes cucumbers can get verticillium wilt but they can also get root rot and the symptoms are rather similar with verticillium wilt, uh, the plants wilt and die, and they begin with the older, lower leaves. And one key way to determine if it is verticillium wilt is uh, when you pull out the plant, uh, scrape away some of the outer, lower stem, and you'll see light brown streaks. If you see those light brown streaks right inside the stem after you peel away uh, the outer portions, uh, you will. if you see those light brown streaks, that's a sign of verticillium wilt uh also if if it, if the death is due to root rot that the plants will usually wilt suddenly so did you happen to notice any yellowing leaves and, and near the base of the plant you know the truth it almost uh it, I, I, yellowing leaves seem to, to happen at the tips of the leaves and then go inward but it seemed to be from not from the bottom up, but kind of equally from all levels. In that case, then um, you might have a drainage issue. And so, when you dig up the plant, take a look at that soil that was around the roots of the plant. See if it was muddy. If it was muddy, uh, that could be the cause of that sudden wilt. It's caused by a fungus. It's called root rot. And basically, you want to avoid wetting the soil um, at the at the crown, and, and you want to improve drainage. The best way to grow cucumbers, really, and this is a great way to avoid water uh, stress uh, while it's setting fruit, is to plant them in raised beds. 
Yeah, that's what these are in. So, so now verticillium and fusarium and root rot, they're all fungus? Uh, basically, yeah. Fusarium, verticillium, and the wilt, the root rot, is a fungus, yes. So is there something I can do to treat the soil, like, uh, over the winter or, or something like that? No. <laughs> not, not, for, not for verticillium or fusarium wilt. Uh, okay. that, that's kind of like always in the soil. So if you do choose, um, there are verticillium-resistant varieties of cucumbers, if indeed it is verticillium wilt. So again, you, the best way to do that is to peel away a portion of that lower outer stem and see if you see the brown streaks right inside the stem. Very good. Thank you. All right. Good luck, Mike. It's not easy. I, I understand completely. It's uh, Cucumbers, too, are very picky about water. You can overwater them. You can underwater them. And a lot of bitterness in cucumbers is usually a watering issue. To San Francisco we go. David, welcome to the program. Yeah, how are you? Fred? Okay. Uh, yeah, I uh, was just thinking of how delicious verticillium is on, on cold, on chilled cucumbers. Oh, yes. <laughs> hey, you know what I wanted to ask you about was um, uh, growing uh, vegetables to seed. Uh, and I'm just wondering if there's a technique for uh, trying to get, uh, you know, the best quality of seed. If you're, uh, you know, if you've got a very small garden, but you uh, want to just grow it for seed so that you have a, a batch of seeds for next year or whatever. Uh, have you got any uh, just general information on that? Yeah, grow them in isolation. If you want to save the seed for a particular plant, don't grow any other varieties of that plant uh, within 30 feet of that plant. Oh, is that all just 30 feet? It yeah. depends. Some pepper varieties, uh, it, it may be more, but generally speaking, if you can isolate a plant by 30 feet, uh, you'll probably have success. And that's the way most seeds, especially from open pollinated varieties, end up with a slightly different look or taste uh, the following year from the seeds is that the, the insects or the wind has moved some pollen around from one variety to another. So if you really like one variety of tomato, your best bet is to grow it by itself. Okay, so it's not a half mile or anything like that. Now, should you let it go, you know, like, um, you know, Three weeks after the seeds start to emerge, should wait till the plant really dries out before you harvest. The best time to harvest seeds is when those basically the well it depends what you're growing. If, if it's flowers, you wait for the seed pod to turn fairly brown. If it's um, if it's a vegetable, you can dry out the seeds on your kitchen counter after the fruit is fully ripe. So choose if, if you're choosing seeds from a vegetable, make sure that the vegetable is fully ripe. It, almost to the point of overripeness. Right. And then you can dry the seeds, like I say, on a kitchen counter. If uh, it's a flower, I would wait until the flower head is completely brown and the seeds are almost falling off by themselves. What a lot of people will do to save the seeds, when that time is coming close, they'll take a small paper bag and tie it around the head of that flower, for instance, a sunflower, and they'll tie a, a bag around that and secure it. That way the birds don't get it, and it's, it's easy picking with the seeds. They're all in the bag. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you where I'm going with this. You know, with the uh, food prices spiking, um, you know, in history, this has happened thousands of times. And, you know, typically it's it's the food producers that are hoarding the food. And so I'm just thinking that if we can uh, make sure that we have our own batch of seeds for next year, um, food prices are high this year, but they're not like they're, you know, insanely high. And so the whole idea, if we can make sure that we've got enough seed out there that we can beat the 
uh, producers at their game. Well, I'll go one step over what you're saying, David. And basically, talking with a lot of nursery owners, they're having a hard time getting seeds and plants of the older varieties, of heirloom varieties. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the, the big producers are, are pushing these new hybrid varieties, and it's harder for the nurseries especially to get plants of the older varieties. So, yes, it is important to save your seeds, especially from the open-pollinated heirloom varieties. They did a study at the University of Texas back in 1999, and they studied farm-grown produce from the 1950s and compared that to the nutritional quality of farm-grown produce in 1999. So this is a rather old study. But the fact of the matter is, the produce that was grown by farmers in 1952 or 53, I think it was, had more nutritional value than the tomatoes and other uh, vegetables grown in the 1990s. The difference, back in the 1950s, there weren't as many hybrids. Most of them were open-pollinated varieties. It was only until really the, the late 60s, early 70s, and into the 80s that hybrid varieties meant for shipping primarily were developed for the farmer. The whole idea for the farmer is to grow a crop that can be shipped, that looks nice, that can take the uh, bumping of of being transported by plane or truck or whatever and still look good to the consumer. So basically, they were growing cosmetic food. They were growing tomatoes that look nice. And it turns out when you hybridize, especially tomatoes in that fashion, what you end up with is a good-looking tomato without much nutrition because something's got to give anytime you hybridize. And that... And what's giving is the nutritional levels. I've got that at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page. You can uh, look it up there, okay. that that study. And it's uh, it's rather eye-opening, and it's another great reason to grow your own vegetables. Is It is truly better for you, healthier for you, than a lot of the newer hybrid varieties, which have been bred to look nice, not just for the commercial grower, but also in your home yard as well. And, David, we have to run here. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right. The uh, Coming up, we're going to be talking irrigation with Nels Borlaug from Sunkiss Sprinklers. He's here. We're going to be uh, troubleshooting your irrigation equipment, finding out what's wrong with your sprinklers. And uh, don't forget this show available as a podcast at kfbk.com. It's the KFBK Garden Show. 